Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 1st of November 2009. This service is a 78-year anniversary celebration of Bethel Free Baptist Church and the Bible reading is taken from Psalm 78, verses 1 to 8. Here's Brother Pedro Yearwood. Just before Brother Pedro comes, I put him on the spot, but you know, it's nice to recommend that, I mean, the 19 and a half years that uh, since we uh, first uh, accepted the call to be the servant minister here at Bethel Free Baptist Church, and, uh, and of course, uh, we've still got two of those souls sitting back there on the back table. Sister Dorothy's not here this morning, but uh, uh, Brother Cecil and Sister Mooney uh, were both here all those years ago, and, and uh, we thank God so much for their faithfulness. And of course, uh, uh, Brother Cecil hasn't been here the whole 78 years, but he doesn't miss it by much. Uh, he's been here since he was a, uh, uh, a young lad himself. And uh, Brother Cecil, do you feel like just a, a word of testimony this morning? Uh, I think that that would be great uh, because uh, I can say this not because he is here today, but uh, as one of our deacons, I could not have asked God for a, uh, a more faithful encouraging servant to serve with me here these years. I thank God so very, very much for him. And uh, I'm just going to ask him to share a word of testimony with you. Well, it wasn't long after the church opened that I came here. I was a little tot. My feet didn't reach the floor. And I used to sit with my mum and dad over that side there. And my grandfather, grandmother and my auntie as well. So it was a bit of a family gathering when we came to church and the Lord has kept the family going all the time. That's great, isn't it? Now I was saved when I was 11. So Sunday school teachers, be encouraged. People are able to make a decision at that age. In fact, one of our ladies uh, said she hadn't got a very good testimony. She'd never done anything very horrible or terrible to be saved from. She said she remembered she gave her heart to the Lord when she was four. Now, I'd like a testimony like that, wouldn't you? Eh? Four years and then the rest of the life spent serving the Lord. Now, God is great. One thing that uh, has been constant from the very start is the Word of God. The church was established on that Word. We used to sing a hymn, which isn't in your hymn books, but uh, I'd like to just read it to you. O wonderful, wonderful Word of the Lord. True wisdom, its pages unfold. And though we may read them a thousand times or they never, they never grow old. Each line has the treasure, each promise a pearl that all, if they will, may secure. And we know that when time and the world pass away, God's word shall forever endure. A wonderful, wonderful word of the Lord, the lamp 
that our fathers above so kindly has lighted to teach us the way that leads to the arms of his love. Its warnings, its counsels are faithful and just. Its judgments are perfect and pure. And we know that when time and the world pass away, God's word shall forever endure. A wonderful, wonderful word of the Lord. Our only salvation is there. It carries conviction down deep in the heart and shows us ourselves as we are. It tells of a saviour and points to the cross where pardon we now may secure. For we know that when the time and the world pass away, God's word shall forever endure. Just one more verse. A wonderful, wonderful word of the Lord, the hope of our friends in the past, its truth where it so firmly they anchored their trust to ages eternal shall last. A wonderful, wonderful word of the Lord, unchanging, abiding and sure. For we know that when time and the world pass away. God's word shall forever endure. God bless you. All right. Thank you, Brother Cecil. Well, I've already said that it's a great privilege to have the Yearwood family with us. And, of course, uh, they're just part of the family here at Bethel. Uh, they'll have to disown us. We'll never disown them, see. So, uh, and, of course, his ministry has been such a blessing to us. And so... We look forward today. Let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Ask the Lord to especially be with him as he comes to minister to his Father. Lord, we're so privileged just to be able to approach your throne in prayer at this time. Well, the privilege of being able to gather together in your house when, Lord, so many don't have that simple privilege around the world. Father, most of all, we're just privileged to be called your children that you saw fit to reach down one day and save our souls. Fathers, we're gathered here today. We're also privileged to have in our midst our dear brother who has, our Lord, been such a blessing to us in times gone by. And Lord, we realize that as he comes to preach to us today, as much as we love him and as much as we care for him, but Lord, his desire and the only hope that we have for anything eternal to take place here today is for your hand to be upon him. Father, we pray that you would truly Touch him, anoint him. Use him as your spokesman here this morning to speak forth the very words that you would have heard in this place, that every heart would respond in that way which is most necessary. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Brother Pedro, come on. We're very glad to be here this morning and appreciate you inviting us to be with you on this special day. And thank Pastor for uh, inviting me to preach. And uh, it's great to be away for just a couple of months and come back and see so many faces that I've never seen before. Uh, that's it's, it's wonderful. But uh, so many that, of course, are familiar and uh, precious uh, brothers and sisters in the Lord, and we are uh, we're so glad to be able to be with you. My wife sends her, her greetings. Uh, she and Faith uh, 
as it were, drew the short straw and um, had to stay behind, but they're at church this morning at uh, uh, Brimpton Baptist Church, and, uh, but they sent their greetings as well. Uh, we are, uh, we're getting settled in and getting used to, uh, getting used to village life <laughs> and um, getting used to uh, the horses, the many, many horses, and, um, and uh, to a, a different, uh, a different uh, part of the country. But uh, so glad to be here and, and uh, so glad to see you. Uh, so 78 years. Uh, it's a long time, isn't it? It is a long time. There are many people who do not live that long. Uh, but 78 years is a long time and it's a wonderful uh, anniversary uh, to be celebrating. Of course, the, 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 I've heard it said and, and now I know it's true that the older you get, the quicker anniversaries come around. Uh, it's not actually true, but it, uh, it seems that way. It seems like they come around quicker. Birthdays come around quicker and so on. And um, uh, church anniversaries seem to come around quicker as well. Uh, but still, 78 years is, is a long time, and it speaks so much of the faithfulness of God in maintaining this place. And uh, this morning, um, on this 78th anniversary, I want to share something with you from the 78th Psalm. So if you turn there with me to Psalm 78, we'll begin to read in verse 1. The first eight verses of this chapter are the introduction to the chapter. It's a long chapter. Don't worry, we won't be going through all of it this morning. I know they're up there preparing uh, dinner for us and whatnot, and, um, and there's a limit. So don't worry, we won't be studying every single verse. But I believe there's something in this chapter which um, is particularly relevant to all of us uh, as believers, but... Um, particularly on this anniversary Sunday for this local church, um, but for all of us, surely, in this Psalm 78. Verse 1 says, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. It's interesting that the psalmist starts by pleading for the people to listen. You know, I have preached many, many messages in many different places uh, and in different countries. And um, one of the things that I notice again and again and again is that um, only some people listen. Only some people listen. Uh, some switch off early and you can tell their faces go blank. And you know, right, she's gone, he's gone, he's gone. Uh, by the way, if you switched off already, I'd appreciate if you would just stay with us for just a little bit longer because there's something I want to share with you which... Um, I hope will be of some, some help or encouragement to you. But the psalmist starts by pleading for people to, to hear. Uh, then there are others who do listen, but they, they still don't hear. Uh, they listen with their ears, but their heart is switched off. It was switched off before they came through the door. And the reason they hear is because it's Sunday, and if you don't come, someone will think it odd. One of the brethren may ring you up and say, well, where were you? Uh, Sunday is, um, of course, the Lord's day, and you ought to be in the Lord's house. But um, there are some who do come with, with hearts switched off. Ears on, hearts off. I hope this morning that both ears and hearts are on because whenever you come to the Scriptures, regardless of who's preaching it, regardless of, of whether it is, a, uh, it is a preaching service or you reading your Bible at home, God always has something to say to you if you will hear. What did the Lord say? He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. He wasn't just talking about these physical ears, 
he was talking about a heart that is switched on and willing to hear what God has to say. So the psalmist starts, give ear, all my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. He's not saying here that he's, he's telling them something that is mysterious and that they can't figure it out. That's not what he's getting at. His parables and these dark sayings he's talking about is only that which is clear to the person who is willing to hear. You see, when the Lord spoke parables in the New Testament, when the Lord Jesus spoke parables, there were a mystery to all those whose hearts were switched off. But did you notice that most of the time the disciples got the message and some others got the message? And when they didn't get it, they'd come and ask, Lord, what did that mean? And he'd explain it to them, like the parable of the sower and so on. So this morning, only you know for yourself whether or not you came in here ready to hear from God. If you did not, then I hope you'll change your mind now and be willing to hear what God has to say, not me. Because let me just share this with you now. I haven't got anything to tell you. I have absolutely nothing to tell you this morning that would be of any use. That's the truth. But I believe that God's word has a message for us, which if we will heed it, will make a difference not just today, but tomorrow and next week and next month and next year should the Lord tarry. May God help us that we'd be willing to hear. Verse 3 says, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. It wasn't anything new. They'd heard it before. By the way, that is a, another problem that we sometimes have. We think, oh, I've heard that before. <laughs> Verse 4, we will not hide from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. The psalmist said, not only do I want you to hear for your sake, but I want you to hear for the sake of the next generation. Let me just stop here and and say this. If you're here this morning and you have, um, you, you cannot look back to a, an anniversary, a particular time in your life when you trusted Christ as your Savior, then you have one single vital, urgent need this morning. There is only one thing that you need to deal with this morning. Everything else can wait. Everything else will flow from that. But your great need this morning is salvation. You need to realize this morning how much God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. So much that he intervened in human history to provide the means that our race, the human race, could be rescued from our plight. Because were it not for Christ, we would all face the judgment of God. But Christ intervened, and he shed his blood. He paid the price that you and me and all those outside and all around the world could be rescued from that plight of having to face God's judgment. God the Father put his judgment on God the Son on Calvary's cross so that you can go free if you are willing to put your faith in him and in him alone. Not him and Mary, not him and Muhammad, but in him alone. Now, if you cannot look back at a time, even if you can't remember the exact date, I, I will never forget the 8th of May, 1973. That's when I got saved. But you may not be able to remember the time, but you know that there was a day 
when you put your trust in Christ, or an evening, or a night, or an early morning, whatever it was. You, you can remember that time specifically. You can never forget it. But if you cannot, if somehow you've been trusting in some feeling uh, that you have reformed yourself or that you have become a, a better person, if you've been trusting in your church membership, if you've been trusting in the fact that you got baptized, if you have been trusting in the fact that you grew up in a Christian family, if you've been trusting in the fact that everyone else here thinks that you are a Christian, but you have never actually trusted Christ yourself, I say again, the one urgent thing you need to do this morning is to trust Christ as your Savior. If you are not sure what that means, this man would love nothing more than to spend the rest of the afternoon and the night showing you from the scriptures what it means to be saved. And there are others here who would be happy to do it as well. Please, nothing matters more than your salvation because you do not have a guarantee of tomorrow. You don't even have a guarantee of the next minute. Trust Christ as your Savior. If you need some help, if you need someone to explain what that means and what it's all about, please do see Pastor afterwards. He'd be more than happy to share that with you. And then you'll have an anniversary that you will never forget, the day you trusted Christ as Savior. But this psalmist, as he wrote these words as the Spirit of God led him, was not just penning them and thinking of himself and his generation. He was thinking of the generation to come. And this morning, I'm thinking of the generation to come as well for a somewhat different reason. Because I think that our children, if the Lord tarries, are going to live in a world that is going to be so vastly changed from that which you and I grew up in, that unless they get saved early, and unless they come to know the Lord personally, intimately, walking with him like God wants them to, they are going to struggle like you cannot believe. You see, not only do we have an enemy who hates us, that is Satan, not only do we have the flesh living in us, which we will have until we go home to be with the Lord, but we have a world that is, by the day, becoming bolder and bolder in its anti-Christ sentiment. And more importantly, we have a world that is growing bolder and bolder in its love of sin. There seem to be little inhibition left. Have you noticed that since around the year 2000, so much has changed? There was a psychological shift in the minds of people all across the world, particularly all across the Western world, when the new millennium came around. It was as if they said, out with the old, in with the new. And it wasn't just labor that decided to call themselves new. Uh, Psalm 2, don't, don't turn, I'll just read this to you. Psalm 2 says this, and, and to me, this, this, uh, this explains it so well. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. 
He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. He shall have them, sorry, the Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. You see, the heathen thought that they could break the bands that they felt were restraining them and cast away the cords that were keeping them back. All this old foggy rubbish about morality and all that nonsense. Cast it off. We're modern people. I'm my own God. I make my own rules. And therefore, I elect people to parliament who will represent my views and make laws that will support my opinions. And here we are today. I believe our children are going to grow up in a world, if the Lord doesn't come back first, that is going to be so intensely difficult that it will take, mark me now, it will take an exceptional man or woman to live for God. Let me say that again. It is going to take an exceptional man or woman to live for God. By that I mean someone who doesn't just know, has, have an academic knowledge of the scriptures, but one who knows the Savior, who walks with the Savior, who is intimate with the Savior. That is what the next generation have got to be. Or it's finished. And let me ask you a question. Don't answer out loud, but do answer, please. Think carefully on it. This church has been here 78 years. Do you honestly think that in 78 years' time, if the Lord hasn't come back yet, that it will still be here? Now think on that for a minute. The way we're going, the way we're headed, do you think that in 78 years, there'll still be a church meeting here Biblical church meeting here. Well, any church meeting here in 78 years' time. Humanly speaking, on the evidence of what we can see with our eyes, now the psalmist said, we will not hide them, meaning God's truths that they had heard and that their fathers had passed on. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. Parents, we have such an immense responsibility to make known God's truth to our children. If you're a grandparent, if you're a Sunday school teacher, if you have any contact with children anywhere at any time, you have got an immense responsibility, but especially we who are parents. Verse 6 says that the generation to come might know them. I remember hearing a message that uh, on a tape that Brother Steve lent to me, preached by his former pastor, Pastor Curry. Is it Pastor Curry? Pastor Curry. And in it, he made this statement. And it took me aback, I must admit. It took me aback in the, in, the, in the bluntness and the honesty of the statement. He said this. He said, my generation 
Now, this is, uh, he would have been a man probably in his 60s by then, and this was a good number of years ago. He said, my generation of believers have failed this country. And I thought, wow, what a thing to say. True, absolutely true. But you don't hear that said often. He said, this country is in the mess that it's in because my generation failed this country. We did not pray like we should have done. We did not live like we should have lived. We did not represent God like we should have done. The salt wasn't salty. And the place became rotten. Now, here we are, probably 30 years later or whatever, and I can say this. My generation of believers have failed this country. And there's a generation coming. I see many of them sitting here this morning who ought to be about to climb and go forward on our shoulders on what we have done, on, on the foundation that we have laid. It ought to be that young people sitting here in this auditorium this morning can look around and say, oh boy, he's an encouragement to me. Boy, she has been such a blessing to me. I, 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 I ought to be able to pattern my life after him. And, and boy, I want to pray like her. I, I, want to, I want to be a witness like him. If I could be half the man of God that he is, oh, I'd be doing well. They ought to be able to say that this morning. Well, can they? The psalmist was concerned. He said, tell them, so that the generation to come may know, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. I've heard it said that <clears throat> with regard to preaching, <clears throat> excuse me, that um, pastors comfort um, the afflicted and evangelists afflict the comforted. Well, forgive me if I seem like I'm an evangelist this morning, and I, I don't mean to afflict you, I really don't. But you see, beloved, it is no good covering a, uh, a wound uh, that has been made by an AK-47 with Band-Aid, with plaster. It, it really won't help. Uh, if there are bullets lodged in there, they need to be removed. If surgery is required, it needs to be done. And then there must be a time of recuperation. Just, just peeling off a piece of plaster and putting it on um, won't do anything. And you and I need to recognize that as we sit here this morning in the comfort of this building, 78 years after those brothers and sisters all that time ago made the decision and committed themselves and made the sacrifice to, to start a church and to have this building here, you and I have got to make some very serious decisions, both for ourselves and for the next generation, if there is to be a next generation of believers. Throughout the rest of this chapter, as I said, it's a long one and we won't be going through all of it. But throughout the rest of this chapter, having laid that foundation, having uh, started with that plea for the people to listen, 
and uh, explain to them the importance of the message, why they need to listen for their own good and for the good of the next generation, he then proceeds to uh, give a short history of Israel from deliverance to David. From the time God delivered them from, ex, uh, from, from captivity in, uh, in Egypt, all the way through to the time of Israel's second king, King David. It's a brief history, but it is a significant history. And all the way through, there is one recurring theme again and again and again and again and again and again and again. See if you pick it up as we read the next few verses. The children of Israel, this referring to, uh, to representing Israel as a whole, the children of, of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law and forgot his works and his wonders that he had showed them. Marvelous things did he in the sight of their fathers uh, in the land of Egypt, in the field of Zoan, referring again to Egypt. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through, and he made the waters to stand up as an heap. In the daytime also, he led them with a cloud and all the night with a light of fire. He clave the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink as out of the great depths. He brought streams also out of the rocks and caused waters to run down like rivers. And they sinned yet more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. Yea, they spake against God. They said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Behold, he smote the rock that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed that he gave bread. And, and uh, can he give bread also? Uh, can he provide flesh for his people? Therefore the Lord heard this and was wroth so a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger also uh, came up against Israel. Because they believed not in God and trusted not in his salvation. And if you continue to read all the way through this chapter, you will see that same theme recurring again and again and again and again. God provides, great is thy faithfulness. What's the song we sung there this morning? Um, to God be the glory, great things he hath done. They could have sung that all the way through the wilderness. To God be the glory. Have you ever seen the sort of phenomena that took place in Egypt when God delivered them with the ten plagues? Have you ever seen anything like it? Neither have I. They saw it. When they came out and they were trapped between the Egyptian army and the sea, God just opened the sea. And they went across on dry land. Literally, as they went across, the waters were on either side of them, up that end of the, uh, the, the river course and down that end. They literally stood up like a wall. And God made a dry piece of ground between the two walls of water and they went through. Have you ever seen anything like that? Maybe somewhere in Birmingham or up Leicester Way or... Surely in London, I mean, everything happens in London. You, you never seen that? Me either. And then having got through, the Egyptians tried the same thing and God drowned them. And then they went on through and even though they disobeyed God and they could have crossed over into the promised land, 
And God had to take them around and around in circles in the wilderness for 40 years. Even during that time, they saw amazing things. God led them with a cloud by day and fire by night. And the enemies of Israel could see that from a distance and kept their distance. Who are these people who have got their own cloud and have got their own fire that provides light at night? Who are these people? I've never seen anything like that. God provided, we just read it, water out of a rock. They said, oh, we're thirsty, Moses. Look what you've done. We, we need water. And so God provided water out of a rock. And they had plenty. The problem is they never, ever had enough as far as they were concerned. Their problem wasn't thirst. Their problem wasn't hunger. It wasn't the heat. It wasn't the uncomfortableness of walking around in a desert. Their problem was unbelief. Now that I have seen. That I know personally. I know it intimately. And you probably do too. And therein lay the problem that Israel faced. And all through these uh, next verses through to the end of the chapter, it repeats itself again and again and again. God would provide. They would rejoice. Hallelujah to God be the glory. And a little while later, what on earth has God done? I mean, look, we, we, we don't have this. We don't have that. Look at verse, uh, verse 23. Though he had commanded the clouds from above and opened the doors of heaven and had rained down manna upon them to, to eat and had given them the corn of heaven, man did eat angels' food. He sent the meat to the full. He caused an east wind to blow in the heaven and by his power he brought in the south wind. He rained flesh upon them as dust and feathered fowls like as the sand of the sea. And he let it fall in the midst of their camp round about their habitations. So they did eat and were filled for he gave them their own desire. Brothers and sisters, look, look, uh, look here for just one moment. It says, so they did eat and were filled for he, God, gave them their own desire. The most dangerous thing, brother, sister, the most dangerous thing, the most dangerous situation you can get yourself into in this life is one in which God gives you your own desire. Where you have sought him and chased him and pleaded with him and bargained with him, threatened him, maybe, to get this thing because that is what you want. And then finally God says, okay, go ahead and have it. And God gives you your own desire. Oh, God have mercy. It is the most dangerous place to be in. And Israel found that out. Verse 30 says, they were estranged from their, they were not estranged from their lust. They never repented of it. But while their meat was yet in their mouths, the wrath of God came upon them. And slew the fattest of them and smote down the, ch uh, the chosen men of Israel. Now verse 32 ought to say, therefore they repented and walked with God and lived victoriously thereafter. But now what does it say? For all this they sinned still and believed not for his wondrous works. Slip down to verse 36. Nevertheless, nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth 
and they lied unto him with their tongues, for their heart was not right with him, neither were they steadfast in their covenant. Slip down to verse 40. How oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. By the way, that is what unbelief does. It limits God. It limits what God can do in our lives. It limits what God can do through our lives. And we never, ever, ever, truly come to know him. Now, I'm not saying you're not saved. You are as saved as any human being ever was if you've trusted Christ truly. But it is possible to go all the way through your life and never, ever truly come to know God. And the first time that you will seek to know him uh, in any intimate sense is when he takes you home or when he catches you up in the rapture. But then there's something called the judgment seat of Christ. That's a whole different kettle of fish. We'll, that's another time. God wants to bless us now when he wants to reward us at home. But that is up to us. That is entirely up to us. Israel, through their unbelief, limited the Holy One. Verse 42 says, They remembered not his hand, nor the hand when he delivered them from the enemy. Go on down to verse 56. Yet they tempted and provoked the Most High God and kept not his testimonies. And we could go on and on and on. This chapter ends, as I say, it started in Egypt with their deliverance, goes through the wilderness, comes through to the promised land under Joshua, skips the time of the judges and goes through to Israel's second king, David. It ends verse 70. It says, he chose David also his servant and took him from the sheepfolds from following the ewes great with young. He brought him to feed uh, Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hand. You'll notice that this is an unfinished chapter. It's an unfinished story. It started by talking about Israel's deliverance and it stops at the point of King David's life. That may just be because the psalmist, uh, that's all the history that he had. Or it may just be that the Lord had him stop there on purpose because the story is unfinished. You see, Israel at all times had a choice. They could choose to trust God or continue in rebellion, continue in unbelief. We know what happened because we are living, what, um, three, four thousand years after the event. And we know that they never, ever did come to a point where for any Consistent period of time, they trusted God. It never happened. God raised up great men and great women to encourage them. And for a while, they would walk in the, in the, in the shadow of that person, in the light of that individual. They'd be swept along in the faith of that one. But then when that one goes off the scene, they went back to their unbelief. There's so much of that still happening today. Churches that shut because the pastor, the Lord moves the pastor along. Or because the Lord took the pastor home. I mean to be with him. And because there is no pastor, the church crumbles. Now, a church will never ever function properly, properly without a pastor or pastors. It just won't. It just will never function as the Lord intended it to. 
But that doesn't mean it has to crumble. But so many of them absolutely implode and die very, very quickly. Why? Because the one they were following is gone. The, the, the great shadow in which they were walking is suddenly no longer there. That happened to Israel again and again and again. When Joshua was there, they were fine. When Moses was there, they were fine. When each one of the great judges were there, they were fine for a while. But then when God moved them off the scene, they went back to unbelief and to rebellion. Unbelief. A deep-seated decision not to trust God. That's what unbelief is. It is a decision deep in my heart that on this issue or on these issues, I will not trust God. I will not do what he says. We trusted him with regard to our eternal life, maybe because we saw there was no alternative. But in Israel's day-to-day -day life, they felt that there were times when they did have an alternative. There was a plan B, another way, and they often took it. And the results we read about here. If you want to see how this all ends, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3. Strange place for this story to end, isn't it? You think it would have ended somewhere in the Old Testament. But look at Hebrews chapter 3. Look at verse 7. It says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Here we are in 2009, and do you know what? Israel still has no rest. They are the political center of the world, and there is no rest. No rest. And there will be no rest until that day when Messiah comes again, and this time they see him for who he is. And for us as believers, I put it to you, brothers and sisters, that you and I will have no rest. We will go from one state of perplexity to the next. We will never know that perfect peace that the Bible talks about as long as we follow Israel's example of walking in unbelief, of choosing at times and in specific situations not to obey God, but rather to do it some other way. Verse 12 says, take heed, brethren, now, this is where the uh, rubber meets the road. This is where it becomes personal. This is where it comes down to you and me on this 78th anniversary of this church. And for those of us who are not members of this church, if you are a child of God, this speaks to you too. 
Take heed, brethren. You know what that means? Listen. Listen now. Listen. That's what take heed means. Listen carefully to this. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. You say, wait a minute, brother, stop there. A child of God would never depart from God. Oh, yes, they would. And they do. And I have. And if you are really, truly honest with me this morning, well, honest with God this morning, forget me, you will admit that there have been times in your life, even if for short periods, that you too, in your decisions, have departed from the living God. You've, you've come face to face with a situation, and you had two choices. Trust God and obey him, or act in unbelief and do what you think is right. And you took the second option. Now, I can speak for myself. I know I have been there many a time. I'm ashamed to say it. I've been there many a time. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. You see, sin is such a, a deceitful thing that once you get started, it's easier to do it again next time. And then it goes from being um, things that happen from time to time to being a pattern. And then it goes from being a pattern to being a habit. Unbelief can become a habit. And then it can get to the point where you and I can come into church like this morning and um, sit and listen to the Word of God preached. And it has nigh on to no effect at all on our hearts. Verse 13 says, But exhort one another daily while it is yet day, or while it is yet, yet called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Sin has a way of hardening our hearts. And if we do not deal with it, if we do not deal with that evil heart of unbelief, then it gets easier next time. And the next time, and the next time, and then it becomes a pattern, then it becomes a habit, and then it becomes normal. And the saddest part is, then it becomes normal for each of us. And I don't bother you, because I don't want you to bother me. I'm not going to tell you about your sin, because I don't want you to bother me about mine. I'm not going to stand in quote-unquote judgment over you because I don't want you to do that to me. Why don't we just leave one another alone and just live happy? But exhort one another. The writer here says, exhort one another daily while it is still called today. In other words, while there's still time, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Now, the time is gone and I, I, I'm going to stop here. But beloved, I hope that this morning, if you get nothing at all from this time that we've spent in the scriptures, that you have got this at least. That God in his faithfulness for 78 years has allowed this church to stay here. 
There were other churches at other times that God had been faithful to, and for years they had stood. But then God had to intervene and speak to them and point out some things if they were going to stay. And if you want to see a record of some of that, read Revelation chapter, chapter 3, where the Lord says to some of those churches, do as I say, unless I will come and remove your candlestick. I will take you away. Does God shut churches? Beloved, if you and I fail to be the people that God asks us to be, how can we expect the protection and blessing of God? How can we expect that he will continue to maintain us and uphold us and use us? This is not the message I wanted to preach this morning. I wanted to preach something encouraging. I wanted to preach something uplifting and something that would go well with your meal. But this is what the Lord laid on my heart. And woe is on to me if I don't preach what God gives me to preach. And so this morning, beloved, on this joyous day, it really is 78 years of the faithfulness of God in this place. We need to make some decisions for ourselves. Individually and then collectively. The individual decision comes first. We are we with regard to our heart and God. Is there at all in our hearts any semblance of that evil unbelief that we read about? Have we in any way resisted God in any aspect of our lives in any way? If we have, then, beloved, this morning would be a wonderful time to put that right and to know what it is to have that peace of God and that rest that we read about. And to be assured, therefore, of the blessing of God on your life and then collectively on the life of this church. But as always, we have a choice. And this evening, God willing, when we come back, we're going to, uh, we're going to look a little bit at this, this thing called the will and this wonderful um, privilege that God has given us of making choices. But we have a choice to make this morning. Individually. I pray that as the Spirit of God speaks to your hearts, I know he is right now, that you will be obedient, that we will say yes to all that God says, we will say yes. Not maybe, not later, but yes. So that God can take and make of our lives what he intended for them to be. Pray the Lord to bless you.